As we continue our series on dangerous prayers, I want to start on the other side of that and show you one of the safest prayers in the Bible. This is the prayer of Jabez, who is a descendant of the tribe of Judah. And in 1 Chronicle 4, Jabez prays to the Lord, Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my territory, and that your hand might be with me, and, and you would keep me from harm, so that I might be free from pain. And isn't that how we like to pray? It's comfortable. God bless us, protect us, prosper us, give us that dream vacation to Disney, build our nest egg, give us a comfortable retirement, and whenever we need healing, God, please make us well. And those prayers are okay, right? God knows the heart, and in his faithfulness, he actually answers this prayer of Jabez. But then we come to this dangerous prayer this week. And I think it's the one that scares me the most. God, break me. I mean, what if God in his faithfulness, as he answered the prayer of Jabez also answers that prayer in my life. Break me. I mean, who wants hardship? Who wants trouble? Who wants suffering? So, to be honest, I'm not sure I want to pray that prayer to God. And I certainly don't think I want to pray that prayer for my children or if you have grandchildren or godchildren, God break them. Rather, it's much easier, especially with children and grandchildren and godchildren, to pray, God, keep them warm and comfy. Give them problem-free lives. Make them well-nourished. And, and of course, God, healthy, wealthy, and wise would be a bonus. But here's my question. is If, if we only pray prayers that are safe and comfortable and easy, which they are okay, right? God-honoring in Jesus' name. But if we only pray safe, comfy prayers... Are we denying ourselves an opportunity for Christ-like maturity? In other words, if we only pray safe and comfy prayers, are we essentially telling God, God, I don't need to grow. Please don't increase my faith and trust in you. I certainly don't need to be stronger. I'm pretty good where I'm at. Well, we want to look at three reasons today why actually that very dangerous prayer, break me, is not only for my best, it's for your best. It's for our children and grandchildren and students and families and neighbors and friends. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Micah shared 
that our hearts cannot be trusted. And then last week, he added to that and said our heads cannot be trusted. And the first reason why break me is in our best interest is because I want to add to that more and just acknowledge that our gifts and abilities and talents and strengths and resources cannot be trusted either. Research continues to show that we have quite an ability to over-exaggerate ourselves. In fact, psychologists actually call this illusory superiority, that we regularly overestimate our own gifts and talents and abilities and strengths. In fact, in one study, they asked one million high schoolers to rank themselves and how well they relate to their peers. Not one in a million (laughs) said they were below average. 60% of the high schoolers said they are in the top 10% of how well they relate to their peers. 25% of them said they are in the top 1% of how they relate to others. And so the study thought, you know what, our theory is, certainly if we ask the same question to college professors, they would have a more humble awareness, right? (laughs) Only 2% of college professors polled said they were below average. 63% said they were in the top 25%. And then another 15% of professors said they are truly exceptional. Our own pride is statistically impossible. And it's that very same pride that is our biggest obstacle for God. This overwhelming tendency for us to have our real confidence in our gifts and abilities and talents and resources. In my own story, before I ever stepped foot on our seminary in St. Louis on their campus, because of my background, I went in thinking I was already ahead of the game, ahead of the ball. I mean, I was a Lutheran teacher for two years at a high school. I had my Lutheran teaching diploma. I got to teach high school. I got to lead a church youth group there for two years, take them on mission trips to Mexico. My wife came from a family with lots of pastors and teachers and and youth leaders. I had good study habits. I had a good work ethic. I was one of the first ones in the history of the seminary to get 100% on the Greek final. I had good reviews on my vicarage. So I thought I was going to be a good pastor. And you know what the Lord did? We spent our whole five years at the seminary building up for what is called call day. It's a day you all are called forward and they hand you a packet and they tell you where you are going to go be a pastor. We had 110 graduates in my class 
And yet we were told that this year they were 15 calls short. 15 graduates would not have a call on call night. And so our circle of friends said, certainly it would not be one of our group. And then Monday morning, our phone rang. And I was told I was one of the 15. And a class of 110 that did not have a call. And that I should call my parents and in-laws and tell them not to come down for call day. Because it will be empty. And my wife just started crying. And after graduation the next month in May, we had to go move back in with our parents in Michigan with a seminary degree and two young children. And it was two more months as a husband and father and pastor before we even had an income. God had to break me of me. And my wife kept telling the seminary placement, it's got to be Michigan, 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 Michigan. M-I-C-H-I-G-A-N, Michigan. And in July, we had our first call to a congregation outside of Buffalo, New York. And God said, you will go when I tell you to go. And you will go where I tell you to go. And we were there for 12 years and very blessed in how God continued to shape us. And, side note, probably saved our marriage, literally not being that close to some of the dysfunction in our extended families. But the problem is I'm a very slow learner, (laughs) especially in God's school. And so when I started at that congregation in Clarence, New York, coming in off an intentional interim pastor, I came out of the gates And the district president and his wife were members of that church, and I was going to show him, and and I was going to show that congregation, and I was going to show God that, that they had the right guy. And that went good for about a year and a half. And my body hit a complete wall. Weight was out of control. My sleep was not there. I was getting run down. My asthma started to have this dry cough that would not go away, and I couldn't work. I couldn't work out. I couldn't do anything. And I went into my doctor's office, and I quote, the doctor came in and she said to me, if you don't stop, you are going to die. Yeah. And here was my wife with two young kids at home all by herself because I was off building the kingdom, carrying two kids on her own. And she gave me a prescription of Xanax, told me I just need to go somewhere and stop for at least five days. And so I went to a Lutheran retreat on Lake Erie, was there for five days, again, leaving my wife with two young kids all by herself, carrying that extra load, had to tell the elders, had to tell the board of elders, had to tell the district president, had to find pastors to fill in for two weeks, started seeing a Christian counselor. I started to get on a daily stress medication that I still use, 
and help me. But again, God had to break me of me. And here's what he was teaching me. Randy, (laughs) I don't need your intellect. I don't need your preaching. I don't need your teaching. I don't need your gifts and abilities to build my church and grow my kingdom. I don't even really need you. But what I do need is a husband who is there, and I need a father who prioritizes, and I need a pastor who is completely humbled and empty of himself and broken so that I can show you that your life and ministry is all about me, Randy, and you are only going to finish it by me. I realized for the first time that my gifts and strengths and abilities amount to nothing. Only God does. It's that very truth that the Apostle Paul presses into us with this morning in our text. Paul says in his experience to keep me from being too elated Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. Three times I pleaded with God to take this away from me, that it should leave me. See, 14 years ago, earlier in this chapter, Paul says that he had an amazing moment from God. He was actually caught up into heaven. And it almost sounds so real that he actually had an entrance into heaven. And it was so real, Paul didn't know if it was real, if it was just a vision, a dream. But what he does know is he saw and heard things in heaven that he could not even put into human words. And you can imagine how that kind of experience and revelation from God could easily puff up his head. Look what I saw. You'll never guess what God showed me. And so to keep his servant pinned to the earth, God said, I'm going to give you a thorn, a messenger of Satan to torment you. And we don't know exactly what this thorn was that God sent into Paul's life to keep him humbled. But we do know that it must have been something physical. Something that hurt because three times he asked God to take it out of his life. God, it's hurting my preaching. It's taking down my teaching. It's hindering my missionary journeys. I am more, I am less effective, God. Can you please just take it away? You know what God's answer was to Paul? (laughs) God said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So God's answer was, no, I'm not going to take that away. I sent that for a reason, to keep you from becoming, but to show you that it's my grace, the sufficiency of my grace, that's going to get you through. You ever see, just even for a little snip, one of those TV evangelists that touches people and they heal? <laughs> and I was thinking, I would actually send money in 
if I could see something like this happen with Paul. If the person comes up to be touched and healed miraculously, and the person goes, wait a minute, that's from God. And he wants you to live with this for the rest of your life. Like I would actually, I think, send money in, really, if I saw something like that on TV. But by giving Paul this thorn and not taking it away, Paul actually learned something about God that he would not have learned otherwise. And that is the sufficiency of God's grace. That it is only in our brokenness that we truly learn the sufficiency of God's grace. That it is always more than enough. And so the application for us is this question. What if the thing we most want God to remove from us, from our life, right now, we've been pleading, maybe, God, take this away. It hurts. I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. What if that very thing is the thing he's using the most to teach us about the sufficiency of his grace? And I think of young Joseph, who was betrayed by his brothers and sitting for years in a dungeon of Pharaoh. Or I think of Job sitting literally in ashes. His body is covered from head to toe in painful sores. He has lost all of his children through a horrendous storm and most of his goods as well. Or I think of Peter who was so confident, I'm going to die with you, Jesus. And then he denies that he even knows him. And he just breaks down weeping when Jesus looks at him. Or I think of Jesus, God's own son, in the Garden of Gethsemane, pleading with God three times for God to let the cup pass from him. And yet whether it was Joseph or Job or Peter or Jesus or Paul, the thing they most wanted to remove was what God was using the most to teach them about His grace. And it's the same with us. What we learn in our brokenness is that God is always there. His grace at the right time, in the right place, in exactly the right measure to get us through. And so this truth that Paul learned hard way about the sufficiency of God's grace literally transforms his mind and his life and his ministry and perspective. Look at now how he continues in verse 9. He says, therefore, I'm actually going to boast all the more of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ rests on me. For Jesus' sake, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, for I have come to learn that when I am weak, when I am broken, when I am at the utter end of myself, then I am actually strong. And that's the third reason why break me is for our best. Because it's in brokenness 
that Christ's strength and power are most on display in us and through us. So whatever your hardship or calamity has been, whether it's some kind of treatment or health or depression or anxiety or financial loss or fibromyalgia, whatever it is, it's that very moment of our brokenness and weakness when we are emptied of ourselves that the power and strength of Jesus Christ is most on display in and through us. And we see how God uses our brokenness, not just a one-time event, but an everyday prayer. God uses our brokenness as a platform for His strength and glory. And isn't that an honor? And isn't that a privilege that God would use that in us? God, it's hard. And this is scary. But please, break me and my children and students, and family, and friends, and neighbors. Amen.